0: Hello and welcome to the Herbert Smith Freehills Capital Markets Podcast. This episode is the first of a six-part series looking at transactional trends through a legal lens. I'm your host for this episode, Yuji Huang, and I have with me today Charles Howworth, HSF's head of equity capital markets, and Tom O'Neill, our head of U.S. securities. We thought we'd kick off the series with a big topic, reflecting on the end of 2018 and the first quarter of 2019, and looking at what's ahead in the capital markets in the rest of 2019. Charles, what are you seeing generally in the market these days?
1: Well, there's one word dominating discussion of markets in the UK at the moment, which of course is Brexit, but we're not going to talk about that today. That's for another episode. Aside from Brexit, there are other wider macroeconomic and geopolitical issues that are contributing to the more subdued levels of activity in capital markets in the UK, across Europe, and EMEA and globally. Turkey has been a huge market both for us and our clients in recent years, but geopolitical events and depreciation in the currency have contributed to um, that market being much less active in late 2018 and so far in 2019.
0: Thanks, Charles. That's really helpful context, though. So so where are you seeing the pockets of activity, then?
1: Well, we're seeing more secondary offerings than primary offerings at the moment. Companies are doing capital raisings to fund acquisitions. They're taking the opportunity to reconstruct their balance sheets, and companies which need to are undertaking rescue rights issues. While the company that's looking to IPO might prefer to wait until there's more certainty and a more benign market, a distressed company or a company that's opportunistically looking to acquire may not have the luxury of being able to wait.
0: Okay, so with respect to secondary offerings, because you said that that you've seen a bit more activity there, what are some recent legal developments that companies or their advisors may need to keep in mind?
1: Well, as listeners will know, the EU Prospects Directive is in the process of being repealed and replaced by a new regime under the new Prospects Regulation. Most of the prospect's regulation changes won't apply until July this year, but certain provisions have already been implemented, including one that's particularly relevant in the secondary offering context. Companies with securities already admitted to trading on a regulated market may admit further shares to listing without publishing prospectus, provided that those further shares represent less than 20% of the same class of securities issued over a 12-month period. That threshold was previously
0: 10%. I see. And, and how has the market responded to that so far? Well,
1: so far, market practice hasn't changed dramatically. In the UK and certain other markets, there are investor protection guidelines which inhibit companies from issuing more than 10% of their share capital in any one year on a non-preemptive basis. Now, there have already been a couple of episodes of companies going over that 10% threshold and testing the water with the investor protection um, groups. But I wouldn't say yet that that has become a habit um, also, from a risk perspective, many underwriting banks might not wish to go above 10% new issue without a prospectus and full comfort package.
0: Okay, so you mentioned that that this part of the prospectus regulation is already in effect um, and that there are other changes uh, kind of looming on the horizon. What are some of those other changes we might see as the phased implementation continues?
1: Well, there are other changes, including a new EU growth prospectus regime for emerging or smaller cap companies. It remains to be seen how that will play out. Um, shorter approval times for prospectus in some circumstances, there is a universal registration document um, allowed for now under the prospectus Regulation, which is similar in concept to the shelf registration available in the US. Um, again, it remains to be seen how widely adopted that will be in Europe given different um, attitudes to equity issuance and frequency of equity issuance. Um, shorter prospectus summaries, um, and they're more prescriptive as well in their form. And there's also more of a push towards prospectus being electronic form um, amongst other changes. Of course, the outcome in relation to Brexit remains unclear, given the delay to 31st October of the UK's possible departure from the EU. But this means the new prospectus regulation will come into force in full on 21st July this year in the UK. After 31st October, either the UK will remain in the EU, in which case nothing will change, Or Parliament will ratify a withdrawal agreement with the EU, in which case EU law, including the respective regulation, will remain in force throughout the transitional period to agreement of a free trade agreement, at the end of which the EU legislation will be translated into UK law. Or, if the UK finally leaves the EU without a deal, the expectation, based on proposals made before 29th March, is that the body of EU legislation in force immediately before exit day will be translated into UK law with at least initially minimal necessary amendments. This changes the analysis on the prospectus regulation because when exit day was planned as 29th March, the prospectus regulation wouldn't have actually been force at the time.
0: Thanks, Charles. Exciting and unpredictable times ahead then. Um, Now, you said earlier that you were seeing more secondary than primary offering activity. Um, And although the IPO market is certainly more subdued than it typically would be, I do want to at least touch a little bit um, on primary offerings. Are there any recent legal developments affecting the IPO market that listeners may be interested in?
1: Well, the principal development, again, is in the UK, and that's the FCA's IPO process reform, which um, mostly involves changes around research. Listeners are probably familiar with the two options or alternatives that are suggested in um, COBS, or Conduct of Business Sourcebook, Rule 11a, but I'll summarize it briefly. Um, There are two options. Under option one... Unconnected analysts are given access to management alongside the syndicate analysts, and connected research can be released one day after publication of an approved registration document or prospectus. Remember that under the previous arrangement, um, research will be published two weeks before the first sighting of the prospectus, so even this is quite a significant change. But option two um, is different. Under option two, unconnected analysts are not given access to management alongside the syndicate analysts. And in that case, the connected analysts may only release their research at least seven days after publication of an approved registration document or prospectus. Uh, In the IPOs that have taken place so far under the new regime, option two is the only option that's been adopted so far. Tom, are you aware of discussions with clients, investment banks in particular, about option two versus option one and whether there will be any instances of option one?
2: Definitely option two. In fact, we aren't aware of any instances of option one being used.
0: And why do you think that is, Tom?
2: It's reasons of uh, confidentiality and commercial sensitivity that are more uh, presented by option one. In fact, our clients are telling us that most of if not all circumstances, they prefer to see option two.
0: I see. Thanks. Now, this topic of the timing of research, is that the main focus of the IPO process reform?
2: Uh, It's been a key area of focus, but something else that has come up is the issue of research independence, which is uh, quite important in the reforms, uh, and particularly looking at independence in the context of pitching. Generally, potential issuers and research analysts should not communicate once the RFP has been sent to a bank for a role in a transaction. An emerging market practice is that most banks prohibit contact for three to six months prior to an RFP. There is, however, also a question of what types of meetings are permissible, and there's a very facts and circumstances inquiry and determinations to be made.
0: Um, and Tom, what factors should be considered then?
2: Well, for example, if there's a sector-wide discussion with no mention of a deal, that's probably okay. On the other hand, if there's been press speculation about a deal or if it's a company meeting analysts together with its financial advisors, that's potentially problematic. Issuers need to seek advice early in the process in order to avoid inv- inadvertently putting a bank off sides for the potential transaction.
0: Thanks, Tom. That's really helpful. So, now, so far, we've been pretty U.K. and Europe-focused, but is there anything from the U.S. securities perspective that you found to be particularly interesting lately?
2: Well, the U.S. government shutdown was big, big news for a while. Uh, that's over now, uh, as far as we know, but there's no guarantee that it won't happen again.
0: And, and what, what was the impact on, on capital markets, of the government shutdown?
2: Well, other than the impact on markets generally, uh, most of you probably know that the SEC was also shut down. Uh, this was a problem because they couldn't declare registration statements effective during the shutdown.
0: So what did registrants do then?
2: Well, there's a little known a little known fact that a non, non-automatically effective registration statement will become effective without any SEC action in 20 days so long as the company removes the delaying amendment from a filed registration statement. In fact, this was the original process for IPO, IPOs when the Securities Act was enacted, in 1933. Hopefully, issuers won't need to continue to rely on that too much now that the government shutdown is over, uh, but it's at least a bit of Securities Act trivia. Um, as an aside, most of the issuers that relied on that provision during the shutdown actually were special purpose acquisition vehicles, which have relatively standard disclosure and offering prices, prices for the securities.
0: Great. Right, look at that. You learn something new every day. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Herbert Smith Freehills Capital Markets Podcast. Until next time, if you have any questions that you want answered on a future episode or just want answered full stop, drop us a line at cmpodcast at hsf.com. Thanks for listening and tune in next week.